Hello and welcome to In Unison, the podcast for choral conductors, composers, and choristers, where we interview members of our choral community to talk about new music, new and upcoming performances, and discuss the interpersonal and social dynamics of choral organizations in the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond. Beyond. We are your hosts. I am Zane Fiala, Artistic Director of the International Orange Chorale of San Francisco. And I'm Giacomo Di Gregoli, a tenor in IOCSF, the Golden Gate Men's Chorus, and the San Francisco Symphony Chorus. And this is... In Unison! In this week's episode, we chat with Zane's conducting mentor, Dr. Joshua Haberman, the Artistic Director of the Santa Fe Desert Chorale and Director of the Dallas Symphony Chorus, about straddling the COVID requirements of two different states. We also talk about his time in the Bay Area as Assistant Director of the San Francisco Symphony Chorus and Professor of Music at San Francisco State University. All right, joining us today, we have Dr. Joshua Haberman on the show. Currently, Josh is the Artistic Director for the Santa Fe Desert Chorale, as well as Director of the Dallas Symphony Chorus. Uh, from 2008 to 2011, he was director of choral studies at the University of Miami Frost School of Music, and prior to that, uh, was assistant conductor of the San Francisco Symphony Chorus, as well as professor of music at San Francisco State University. Josh is a native of California, a graduate of Georgetown University and the University of Texas at Austin, where he completed his doctoral studies in conducting with Craig Hella Johnson. And... Uh, Currently, we're talking to him from Honolulu. Did I miss anything, Josh? No, not at all. Fantastic. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. So we were checking out the uh, Santa Fe Desert Corral's uh, recent releases, and we noticed that you recently uh, released a recording of the All Night Vigil, Rachmaninoff. Yes, just released in uh, November of last year. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that project? It was recorded several years ago, isn't that correct? Yeah, that was it was like a COVID um, bonus. Basically, um, what happened was we did it. So we did the vigil in 2016. We had done it before in 2012. And 12, it was really good performances. And then 16, it was even better. It was just one of those situations where the choir came together. It was totally in them. So many of them had sung it before. I conducted it a bunch. So it just felt like as much as like, you know, running a marathon, like the all night vigil can be easy. It was easy. And I remember thinking in that moment, this is really special. It's really cool. It's so beautiful. It's spontaneous. It's flexible. And then um, we did it. And then I never listened to the recording. And I have to say that I should have, and I intended to, but I'm always, I don't know. I, I always feel like there's a reason that the, that the, um, you know, the windshield's bigger than the rearview mirror in your car. I'm always more interested in what's in front than what's behind. And so I got behind on listening to those old performances. And then once it got behind, it's like something gets down in your email and then it gets buried and you don't see it anymore. I kind of forgot. And then COVID happened, everything stopped. And I finally, like a lot of people, got to like the bottom of my to-do list. You know, oh, I should do all those things that I swore I was going to do, but I never did including going back and listening to all those years of performances that I should have listened to, but didn't. And so I came back and started working my way through, got to 2016, and I thought, oh, this one, this will be really cool. I got my really good headphones. And I couldn't believe what, what we captured. It was in two, we did three performances, but we only recorded two of them. And across those two performances, it was incredibly 
just consistent and beautiful and it stayed in tune the whole time, which is kind of impossible. And it, I, as I listened to it, I realized like, this is a live recording of the vigil that I could actually put out in the world and feel good about. Here's a bit of that recording, the Nunc Dimittis, performed by the Santa Fe Desert Chorale with Andrew Crane, tenor. Understanding it's a live recording, which means there's coughing and there's the, you know, whatever happens, but it was really beautiful. And so basically that's what happened. I said, for COVID, we can't do live performances. What would be greater than putting out this beautiful thing that happened that people remember, and now you can experience it again. So that's the long story, long answer to a short question, but it came from 2016 and then it reappeared in 2020. What's the most reward, rewarding thing about that piece of music for you? Um, finishing it. <laughs> <laughs> you make it to the finish line. One too many days or something or whatever. The- no, I swear to you, like you look, because if the job of the conductor is to support the ensemble, and I believe that it is, like that's your job. You got to get them where they need to go, right? Yeah. Um, seeing them, their eyes, like as they finish movement 12, and then they turn the page to movement 13, and they think to themselves, have we ever rehearsed this one? You know, you could see like the internal dialogue <laughs> going through their mind, and then they sing it. It's great. And they get to 14 and you get to see that they're, they're just working, you know, they're yeah. just working to make it happen. And I just know that feeling of looking at them beginning of the last movement and going like, you did it. <laughs> and it's a desert crowd. It's not surprising they did it. They've all done it a thousand times, but there's still like a feeling of go team. You, you're making this beautiful thing and it's not easy um, oh, with that. But I would say like less, less jokingly, um, that performance in 16, it had a lot of nuance. And most people, when they do that piece, you just, every minute of rehearsal, you're just trying to get the pitches and the rhythms and everything lined up and the way it ought to be. But you rarely get to a place where you can play with the phrasing and do make a difference between mezzo piano and mezzo forte and all that detail stuff. And we got to it in that performance and that was awesome. challenging to uh, record that live, like to be prepared to actually catch all that nuance. Was there anything particularly challenging about how you had prepared to, to record? Well, no, we record our, our performances just regularly with no view to do anything with them except to have them. You know, we use them for grants. Normally you can't use those live recordings because there's too much noise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we do them in Santa Fe in the cathedral. There's a mariachi band every other Saturday like that, you know, you can't record in there. Yeah. And yet for 75 minutes, it was magic. The audience was completely still and quiet. No outside noise is really very detectable. 
So it's just one of those things. We didn't know what we were going to get until we got it. Amazing. And actually, we didn't know until four years later when I finally listened to it. And the recording, the album itself, is a is two different performances pushed put together, isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we use it's primarily one. Honestly, it's it's mostly one of them. And then we, but we didn't splice any movements. We didn't do anything where we took like these thirty seconds here and these forty seconds here. We just took movements, complete, and and just let it stand as it is. troubles of trying to use live recordings to release cds just because of all the noises and there's always someone coughing in the quietest part of just about every piece of music it seems (laughs) i got there was one that i was listening to i don't even remember what piece it was but it was really a beautiful performance and i thought this is so beautiful wow wow and then all of a sudden screaming baby not crying baby not whimpering baby (laughs) i'm talking about blood curdling screaming like wow just that moment and then you think, and somebody brought a baby to a choir concert. Like, oh. <laughs> well, I was going to shift topics a little bit and sort of ask you about something um, that's been on my mind. And I realized when I was sort of um, uh, just thinking about our conversation today that you're currently directing uh, and you're involved with two different groups, the Santa Fe Desert Chorale and the Dallas Symphony Chorus. And they're obviously in two different cities and states. Right. And so here we are in California, sort of trying to make our way with our choirs to sort of figure out, well, what's the regulations? What are the rules? What do we do? Um, And while we've chatted with folks who are helping multiple groups within the same jurisdiction or the same rules, I'm wondering what it must have been like for you to be like, wow, okay, cool. I've got to figure out what's going on in Santa Fe and what's going on in Dallas. And like, what am I allowed to do here versus what am I allowed to do there? How did things sort of come out in the wash? Yeah, you just kind of have to code switch, you know, and between the two sets of regulations, because they are very different. Texas has been very aggressive in terms of allowing a lot more, mm-hmm. being much more, government is much more hands-off. Um, and you compare that to Desert Corral, where the governor is actually the former health minister, uh, not minister, what do you call that? Like the health, the head health official. Mm-hmm. So she has an actual background in public health and is much more inclined to be um, interventionist. So those have been quite different and you just got to know what the rules are. Um, it's relatively simpler for desert crowd because our artists, artists are everywhere. You know, they're all over the country. So most of what we're doing with them necessarily is virtual anyway, Mm. because we can't gather 24 singers from every single place and bring them all together anyway. Um, so we're more concerned with what's possible in Texas right now. Well, I would imagine even with 24 people virtually, everyone's got a different opinion, right? I mean, there must have been different sort of, I don't know where people were or how far flung they may have been, but, you know, you're still dealing with 24 voices and 24 different individuals who are in completely different situations. I mean, how do you negotiate that? Well, everybody's got a closet and you just go in there and you record your bit. (laughs) 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 Even people in New York have little closets. Sometimes it's their living room. 
Right. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so much of what we've done is virtual and not gathering. Although we did, the, the Desert Crowd did a winter um, concert, to your point, in New York City. We actually did a live recording with four singers. Oh, um, wow. And we had to manage the virus protocols in New York. So we figured out exactly what those were and what the venue would allow and everything. So yeah, to your point, we have to, had to manage all those things. Same with, I mean, was Texas or sort of a little bit more lean forward and aggressive? I mean, did you, did you find that challenging or? Um, no, in the sense that the symphony is performing in Dallas. Mm -hmm. So they've pushed ahead um, with reduced numbers in the orchestra and social distancing but they haven't wanted to include the choir. Mm -hmm. um, A, because it's really hard for us to social distance because we're so big. Symphony Chorus is over 200 singers. Yeah. So, you know, I was doing the math. Uh, somebody, I think it was Tim Selig from Gay Men's Chorus in San Francisco actually had a program on his website that said like, tell me how many singers you are and how many uh, feet distancing you need. And it's like, Ikea will lay out your kitchen you put it in and then it shows you where everybody has to stand and how big yeah. you need. So just on a lark, I was like, okay, 220 singers. <laughs> I need 10 feet between everybody. And then it gave me some ridiculous number, like you need nine square miles or something. And the only, <laughs> the only building in Texas big enough was Cowboy Stadium. Oh, okay. So I was like, well, Jerry Jones is not returning my phone calls. <laughs> so I guess we're not rehearsing. <laughs> But the symphony in Dallas has been. They've gone ahead with performances, chamber groups, um, that sort of thing, but nothing that's involved the choir yet. And they have live audiences? Yes, 10% capacity. Mm. So the Meyerson, which is our symphony hall, it's our Davies Hall, right? Um, seats about 1,800. And it's one of the most beautiful halls in America. I'm a proud San Francisco guy. I will tell you that, you know, everything in California is better than everywhere else. But man, this hall in Dallas is so beautiful. And the sound is so unreal and they can seat 1800 people and right now they're allowing audiences of about 150. wow so it's basically like eight percent capacity yeah what a strange experience that must be for the performers for the symphony members who walk out on stage and are used to seeing 1800 people just filling the entire hall and and the amount of applause and now yeah. to have just a couple of people golf clapping you know <laughs> There was a great moment recently that the orchestra in a beautiful show of solidarity, um, they had an extra service right in their contracts. And so they offered a concert for the chorus. So they said, we're going to, we have a concert. We've got a night that we can use and we want the chorus to be the audience. So you can have up to 150 people there. And so the chorus showed up and you can imagine the applause because it was musicians supporting musicians. And they said, We've never heard 150 people sound like that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. we're so used to the golf clap. But, you know, there was COVID-appropriate cheering and, you know, all of that because they, they said that, the, you know, it's one team. They're cheering for each other. Yeah. Amazing. I can't imagine that there's many analogs in your life of this type of a situation, or for any of us, really. I mean, it's been a hundred and however many years since we've had a sort of a pandemic. Yeah. And I'm old, but not that old. <laughs> well, you've trained your whole life to to lead musicians through some complicated music, and you've even trained conductors as well, I and mean, you've taught conductors. So I can't imagine that there was ever a lesson on how to conduct yourself through a pandemic. 
what what's some stuff that you're you've learned some lessons from your musical training or your past experiences that did seem relevant through this year um well you know leadership is leadership is easy when things are easy right like that's not when you need great leaders so in a way you know character is revealed in difficult situations not easy situations so fair enough this is a difficult situation how are you going to respond to it character wise i can't do much leading of music that's meaningful you know but i can certainly embody um values and common held beliefs that are woven into the fabric of the groups that I'm a part of Mm. and hold those up so that people still feel them. Even if we can't do the music, which is what we mostly want to do. They don't want to hear me talk about, you know, they want to hear me talk. We want to sing, but failing that, um, that's certainly something that I've tried to do during this time, you know, to the best of my ability and to model um, gratitude. Because again, gratitude is, it's easy when it's easy. We're all thankful for things when they're going right. But how can we be grateful at a time when things seem to be so screwed up, you know? And um, and people in positions of authority seem to be failing at their responsibilities. And there's every reason to be angry about a lot of things. To say nothing of the grief of just the losses that we've endured as a human community. So there's plenty to get us down and those are real. Um, at the same time, what can, where can we find gratitude and, and, and how can we look forward again? Right. How can we be, you need a leader to project out of the current moment. What a beautiful sentiment. And one that's echoed by the Santa Fe desert chorale's performance of Tarek O'Regan's I had no time to hate a setting of Emily Dickinson's poem. because we all know what the current moment is, but if you want somebody who says, follow me, because just over the, this hillside, there's something worth walking for. That's a help. Yeah. So I guess those are the things that I've tried to keep in mind as we've managed these times. And, you know, to the best of my ability and failing and succeeding in turn. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't have any experience working with choirs that are spread around the country, such as the Desert Corral are. And so I assume that they, in normal times, non-COVID times, that the singers all come together and congregate for a series and do rehearsing and then perform, and then they go back to 
to wherever they live around the country. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, so this question, I guess, is kind of two parts. First of all, how does that affect the, the community feel? Cause I know that that's something for me, especially with IOC, but in many, all the courses I've ever been a part of is that that sense of like a family of community that you get from being in a choir. It's one of the reasons that we love choir is, do you feel like the disparity of where they all live has any effect on that? Or is it still a really tight community? Uh, I'd say both are true. You know, we can't, it's not the same as if we were all, you know, students at a school together or living in the same community. Of course, that would be different. But they're all professional musicians and they almost all travel. I wouldn't say, I mean, obviously all of them travel because otherwise they wouldn't get to Santa Fe. Although we do have a few locals in Santa Fe too. But they also travel outside of Santa Fe to sing. So the traveling piece doesn't um, interfere, in my view, with the community piece of it, particularly because we've had a very stable roster now. Um, I've been there 12 years. And like with any transition, the first couple of years, there was a shifting around. And that's just normal, you know, the way organizations live. But then things settled in and we've had a very stable but not frozen roster for a long time. Um, and many of the people who sing in that group also sing together in other groups. Oh, okay. So I had, there were two guys, uh, two tenors who say that they have spent more time with each other than they have with their respective spouses <laughs> in any given year. To sing or, oh, because of getting together. But they're singing, they're both singing in similar groups. And so they're on the road, you know, if they're on the road 190 days a year, <laughs> They're actually spending more time with each other than they are with the people back home. So there is kind of a built-in sense of community there because people do know each other. It's not as if you open the phone book and pick out 24 and off you go. Yeah, um, It's people who have had relationships for a long time, including me with some of those singers go back to grad school, friends of mine, um, where we all grew up together. Yeah. And so during COVID now... Um, you know, with you're not getting together for programs and seeing each other in person, what other what are the ways that you have helped to facilitate keeping that community together and that community tight? Yeah, it's such a bummer, first of all, because the only way that we do get together is through making that music, at least with Desert Corral. And what a drag that we don't have that, because then all of a sudden you're not singing, so you're not seeing these people. And I miss them. And there's kind of a seasonality to it also, because we do a big summer festival and then a winter festival. So it's like at predictable intervals throughout the year, I get to see my summer friends and my winter friends. Um, and that's been a drag. Uh, what are we doing to keep things alive? Well, first of all, um, the singers themselves are doing a lot without my intervention at all. They're, you know, doing the zooming and, and reaching out to each other on the phone and um, even doing, you know, appropriate social distance visits if they're in the same place and that kind of a thing. Um, and then beyond that, we've had some official things like for the summertime, the week that it would have started, we hosted a great big online get together and, you know, just all had a good cry. And then the winter we did the same um, for the Rachmaninoff release. We got in touch with all the artists who were on that, invited them to a similar online gathering. So we've been doing our share of those and they're great. But I also think that it's worth acknowledging that they're not the same thing, mm -hmm. you know, as what we would prefer to do. Right. But it's what we have right now. Yeah. It's just like the virtual choir experience. You know, it's you get a final product that 
is enjoyable, but the process is not the same. It's just not the same. It's not the yeah. I would say our Zoom socials are way better than the process of doing a virtual choir. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'll take that any day. And speaking of your singers, I mean, how are they? um, How are they keeping their voices in shape? I mean, I guess they're they're still sort of singing and practicing, but it's not quite the same as the rigors. I mean, are you seeing folks doing things to stay healthy and? Um, voices fit yeah so it's it's a very mixed bag because i can't speak for any of them much less all of them Mm -hmm. um but things that i have seen people doing is you know picking up side gigs like one of our singers has really taken to the ukulele she really has learned to play beautifully and now she accompanies herself on the ukulele and is doing all kinds of shows and stuff um others have reported some really good um, things, especially some people who just sing so much mm. of taking a break. It's actually been great for them. It's, you know, football players need an off season to heal, to get fresh again, to work out, to get ready to go at it again. I think we're way past that point now, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but there have been some positive effects of just some time off. And then I think some rust for others, for sure. I, my, I was trying to sing the other day and I thought, oh, I'm in a lot of shape. You know, me too. So I think it's normal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is normally the time of year after the holiday concert sets where everyone is just raw anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. nice to have a little bit of a, a break. And a... This has been the quietest December I've ever had in my life. And Joanna's, my wife said, I've never seen my husband for more than 10 days of December since I've known him. And he, 31 days of December, we're just here staring at each other. <laughs> it's a little shocking, isn't it, right? Like, yeah. I mean, this is the season typically for choral music, for anything, for for even just to to watch things. And, um, and it seems like some folks have kind of flown in and done some interesting things, and there have been some streaming programs. Have you seen anything that kind of just inspired you or you thought, oh, that's really cool? What an interesting thing. Um, well, I'll, put, I'll shout out for our own organization to say that we put the Desert Crowd put a, a winter program together that mm. um, it made me happy to see our artists working and to hear them from their homes. We, we had a quartet in New York that actually sang some ensemble music, but then we also featured, you know, here's a married couple that sings with us. You know, the husband's playing the piano, the wife is singing. Here's another soloist from, you know, from his home in Missouri just wow. doing what he does and the ability to hear those voices and know those people and feel those people that was really moving to me on uh, my role in it was just to put it together, program it, and then say, let's use this take and that take. Um, but beyond our own organization. Yeah. There have been a lot of things that have been beautiful. Um, and I've been able to experience a lot of concerts that I never could have attended, you know, and we've had that with, with desert crowd for sure where people have reached out to us and said hey i'm in belgium and i caught your show you know and i couldn't have come but that was kind of cool so you look for a silver lining there yeah absolutely that's megan solomon was talking about that as well in one of our talks with her Mm -hmm. about how the the restrictions of covid on on social gatherings has allowed us to utilize technology to be able to share our music actually more broadly Um, Totally. People get to tune in. Yeah. And it's forced us into innovating where we might have worked our way to it. You know, it just pushed us into the pool. And we've been, we've learned, I've learned, 
you know, how to teach online really effectively, something that I never thought I would really be excited about doing, but actually I really enjoy now. Yeah. Um, so there have been ways that I think this forced innovation has helped us. What, in what ways are you teaching uh, online right now? Uh, so I've been, since moving to Dallas, I've been teaching at North Texas, um, which is a great university, great school of music. And they've got a graduate program and they had me teach their choral lit class. So I'm going on like 12 years of that or whatever it's been, 10 years of that. And it's all a bunch of do-gooder masters and doctoral students who are all overachieving and they're smarties. And, you know, it's easy. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> and I ask them lots of intimidating questions and they all get nervous. Um, but uh, it shifted to online and we figured out how to do it. And again, you know, there's some things that are harder to do, but you can do it. And it's great. I, I've never missed a class because now, you know, when I'm traveling or before, if I had to go to Santa Fe to do a concert, I would miss class in Texas. I haven't missed a single one because all we got to do is be in our living room. You don't even have to wear pants. Although I do, just for the record, wear pants every single time. <laughs> That was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke. You actually don't wear pants. I see. I see. <laughs> how much of this? How much of that do you think will stick in the future? Not well, wearing pants. No. <laughs> no, a lot. I'm I'm convinced of that. You know, I do think that there's you know there's silver linings to all of this, and I think one of those is it's going to make things more uh, available we're going to figure out how to make things more available to more people in more places. And I've been coaching some conducting online mm. and I found that to be rewarding too. You know, yeah. it can work. Yeah, I agree. Have you set up your full rig? I mean, do you have everything kind of, no, um, I have nothing. are you still on like laptop on Amazon boxes kind of thing? And That's exactly it. It's actually on a, the laptop is on my children's little, step stools that they use to reach the sink to be able to wash their hands. Yeah. I feel those and that's what I put the computer on. So there's no rig, there's no ring light, there's no <laughs> <laughs> it's all very low production value. I'm I'm in the same boat. I I feel like I'm still just denying. I'm just like, no, I can't really fully commit to this. Any day it'll all be back to normal. <laughs> I was lucky. I already had all the equipment from my old days of recording and stuff. So I, I set up my studio early on for IOC stuff and actually had to figure out how to play my keyboard while I was leading warm ups for the ensemble and all those things all at the same time. And that learning curve was a little bit steep. But I, I think that, you know, you're right that the creativity that is being born out of the challenges that face us are going to stick and we're going to see you know, the development of more and more ways of us to take advantage of the technology and, and continue to be creative. Um, so I forget, I think it was you that said it the other day when we were hanging out and talking about the fact that COVID has been kind of an accelerator this yeah. year and, and that it's accelerated so many things that were kind of slowly simmering. Well, COVID just turned the heat up and brought everything to a boil. And now we're seeing so much being developed. I mean, do you, have you had any experience with the the live, like in real time, music making soft software systems like Jamulus or Jack Trip. Jack Trip was the other one. Yeah, yeah, I think those are the two. Yeah, no, I have not. I have colleagues who have who've reported successes with that, but because of our particular, the particular particularities of the groups that I work with, none of that makes sense because they're whether they're nationally, geographically 
dispersed or even just within Dallas Fort Worth we have members that are 60 70 miles from each other right it's the nature of just that that geography so all of those technologies as best i understand them right now depend on physical proximity ethernet and a certain level of technology um, equipment that that we can't um, that we can't quite reach with yeah. money yeah but i have heard about people using them with with good success particularly in california you know where everything's wired up right we've we did a, a core uh uh, caroling experiment uh, before Christmas with several members of IOC and some alumni as well. And we all connected to a server that this guy who used to work for Google helped set up. And so the latency was exceptionally low, um, but it's still, it's so heavily dependent on everyone's equipment. Um, and so the quality, the audio quality, even though we were in time and we were in sync, it still didn't sound that great, at least to me, but I'm kind of picky. <laughs> <laughs> no, it all sounds weird. That weird uh, 50 millisecond latency issue. That I think that's the limit, right? Where humans can detect a right. bit of latency. Yeah, it always feels a little weird. I and mean, I think it's interesting because there are people who are now intentionally writing music and writing pieces understanding that. Yeah. Um, and I, I've i seen some things that seem really interesting or, or considered, you know, sort of new music stuff like that. But it's all a little weird. It's, yeah. it's just interesting to see. I mean, have you seen any pieces or anything that were like born of this time, which are COVID specific or technology specific? Yeah, I have. I don't have any personal experience with them, but I've seen announcements about them because mm -hmm. I, you know, follow CoralNet and I follow, I'm always looking for new pieces. And a lot of the announcements now are, don't worry, I got your back. I wrote a piece that X, Y, and Z, and it's going to sound good over Zoom. And I'm so done with Zoom that, like, I don't want to have that piece. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But for folks that do want that, it's a cool idea. Can I nerd out on you for a second? Please. Like, can I go, like, 17th century? Um, Heinrich Schütz uh -huh. right, lived through the Thirty Years' War in Germany when things were just falling apart and people were dying and there were, you know, in that area, all kinds of illnesses that would sweep through the countryside. And, you know, he looks at his choir once and I'm imagining this now, and, and he sees like three tenors, you know, two trombones, an alto and a sackbutt. It's like, shit, this is what I've got left. <laughs> you know, what am I gonna do? <laughs> and so he writes a piece for three tenors, an alto and a sackbutt and two trombones or whatever. And that's the Kleine Geistliche Concerta of Heinrich Schütz. There's a whole collection of them. It's the weirdest combinations of things. And you know why he did it. Because it's like, dude, it's like Peter, Dave, and Jennifer are the only people left. I'm going to write them a piece. It's the most natural thing in the world. And I think that's what people are doing. You know, yeah, we, we have done do. that. Yeah, we've done that with our own experience as well. At one point, yeah. I, within our bubble, I think we had three tenors and an alto. We're like, well... Yeah. Break out that shit collection. I swear to God, there's something in there. Three tenors and alto, it's like there's four pieces for that. Yeah, <laughs> at least. But yeah, you've sort of got to make do with what you've got. Yeah, Volti, Volti just did a piece by Danny Clay who that was was specifically designed to work within the Zoom constraints. And, and then the composer actually took all of the digital... Um, collateral as it were that the, all the singers recorded including the video and he put it all together did some animations and and they released this performance that was unlike any choral performance that i've ever seen and of course volti does a lot of really avant-garde stuff anyway but this was 
really wild. It was cool, and we're going to talk to Bob about it um, in a couple of days. But um, yeah, that was a neat that was a neat experience. It's but, still available online too. Yeah, definitely check that out. But Josh, I think I'm also a little bit with you, where it's like I don't know that I can watch one more Brady Bunch screen of. You know, how knowing from the singer side to having done a few of them, how hard they are to actually put together and get something that feels, you know, really rewarding, especially when you know what the alternative is, where you're like, oh, I just miss these people. And yeah, it's really tough. Yeah, I, we haven't felt um, pushed to do that because we feel like that's either in Dallas or Santa Fe, because we feel like that space is pretty full. Quite. But people who've done it, who've done it well, awesome. We don't, they, they don't need, the world doesn't need another Right. You know, so, from so, San, so Desert Corral has not done any virtual choir type projects. Uh, take individual did. piece parts and put them all together in post. We had one of those conversations with the artist. And at the end of that conversation, we released a little tiny 45 second snippet that was a virtual choir. But the truth is, that, no, we've not tried to put something big out in that way. We're doing it in other ways. That live performance we really liked. You know, or solo performances. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I yeah, um, it's hard recording for a virtual choir. Oh, it's the least it's rewarding so thing difficult. you can possibly do. Yeah, yeah, it's very hard. It's it's like the opposite of singing in a choir. Yes, you're just singing by yourself. You know, at least for the most recent virtual choir project that IOC is working on, we we actually recorded a bunch of singers and put it together as a live guide track a live performance track and that helps a lot but it's still when you're the person on the other side of that microphone recording your part with your headphones on like it's just it's easy to be so overly critical of yourself and and then just nailing it is hard <laughs> real hard really hard josh looking forward um what are you most excited for post pandemic um reconnecting to my friends yeah you know, through music. Uh, I've always, I've always felt like music was a vehicle for us to connect person to person. And music is of course an end in itself. There's no question about that. And it has a beauty independent of any people that interpret it. But I've always come down on the side of like the other way, which is that it is the power. It is the art form that helps clarify that the boundaries between people that we perceive to be so strong and so defining are actually really ephemeral. Mm. That magic spell that melts those away. And I guess I'm looking forward to that moment when we can sing again, not just for the singing sake, but for that feeling of when those boundaries melt away again. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we've all put up our our barriers and our our walls right now because we're afraid of of this virus, as we should be. But yeah, you're right. It's gonna be nice to break them down and to feel connected. I I remember the first day that we that Giacomo and I finally got to be in the same bubble and and we got to hug each other and like that feeling was just so. It was overwhelming, actually, how wonderful it felt to be able to, like, touch somebody. I mean, obviously, I'm with my, my wife and my daughter, but that was it, just those two people. And so finally getting that connection was... And a few weeks later, to be able to sit at the piano and sing harmony yes. at, you know, Christmas carols. This one over here started bawling. It was very, it was yeah, it very was smooth. Moving. It was very, it was very moving. moving. Yeah. 
Were there any specific projects that you guys that your ensembles were working towards during you know early on before the pandemic you know hit that you're looking forward to to diving back into? Oh uh, yeah, a thousand of them. <laughs> we were lucky in a way in Santa Fe because we did a concert in February that normally we wouldn't do. Um, it was supposed to be in April and then it got accelerated for no other no reason. Um, other than just some venue issues and things. So we ended up pushing back to February and we got that done. That was a program of Psalm settings. that was really fun, blast. We took that down to Dallas. We did in Santa Fe and in Dallas and that was great. Um, we're hoping to be back this summer in Santa Fe. You know, we don't know what the future will bring but we have our full artistic schedule planned with lots of concerts, including a Roaring Twenties concert, um, music from the 1920s. Kind of takes on a different feeling now, whole Roaring Twenties thing. Um, and then an East Meets West concert of Asian choral music that includes a commission, new piece, um, and then a Monteverdi and Rossi program that I'm really excited about for a little chamber music group. Um, that should be really cool. So we hope that those things happen. And then um, in the spring, in Dallas, we were working on a really unknown piece called Book of Seven Seals by Franz Schmidt. Hmm. And I sang all those years in San Francisco with the symphony chorus. We did a lot of concerts. And the running joke was that we had done enough masses and requiems to marry and bury the entire state of California. <laughs> so I felt like I knew like masterwork. Yeah, I, like, I know them all, I'm good. And then this one came along in Dallas. It was totally new to me. And it was a piece like from the 1930s. Very, very big. It's like post Mahler chromaticism, still tonal, but barely. Mm. And very hard, very hard, like eight part fugues and ridiculous chromatic. Oh my God, it was so hard. And symphony chorus is all volunteer singers. And they worked their butts off in January and February and beginning of March. They were just working um, to sing this incredibly hard music. But the text of it was, um, it was um, Book of Revelations. So it's all this really dark, apocalyptic, seven horsemen type stuff. And then the pandemic hit. And I was like, oh, my God, did we cause this? <laughs> <laughs> you conjured it <laughs> we conjured it i mean really that's what the music was about you know and the sort of darkest passages of the bible and um and you know the singers were really disappointed because we got all the way through 11 rehearsals oh. of 13 yeah. and they had learned the damn thing like we were ready to perform it and then the whole thing got canceled and it's the kind of thing where if you come back to it in a year no one's going to remember six bars of it it's just so tuneless. And so, you know, the singers were all disappointed. And I said, I am disappointed too. But I'm not sure that an oratory on the book of Revelations is what we needed right now. Yeah. That's true. Let's hit pause on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's go ahead and be willing to let that one go. Yeah. And then we'll come back to whatever this fall has in store for us. Well, I th I think this has been a fantastic conversation, Josh. I'm I'm jealous of the beautiful trees in the background and the and the uh, the singing birds. Um, you're gonna have to come up with some kind of choral piece that involves just singing birds. Uh, Aleatoric, good over Zoom. We can exactly, totally do it. Exactly, yeah. it'll be perfect. <laughs> 
Um, but it looks it looks beautiful there, and, and we really appreciate you joining us uh, on the show to talk about what's going on for you and uh, you know your interpretation of COVID and, and everything. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure, and I'm a fan of IOC, as you guys know, have been ever since the early days, and I'm really proud of what you're what you've done and what that group has become for you know it's been around a long time and what it's meant for whole you know generations of people that have come through it and that it continues to thrive is a really cool thing so please keeps uh keep me on your mailing lists and keep me informed as to what you're doing i want to continue to follow it cool you got anything else giacomo no just feeling good totally grateful for for the conversation thank you so much yeah my pleasure thanks for asking Let's leave you on a high note today. Here's the Santa Fe Desert Chorale singing Josiah Kelly Atwood's Unclouded Day, arranged by Sean Kirchner. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison podcast. But before we go, do you sing in an awesome choir that people should know about? Or maybe know a composer or conductor you'd love to hear on the show? How about any recent or upcoming performances that touched your heart, tickled your fancy, or made you go, hmm? Well, then we would love to hear from you. Please shoot us a note at ideas at inunisonpodcast.com with your thoughts. And who knows, maybe Chorus Dolores will ask us to talk about it during announcements. <laughs> In Unison is sustained, nourished, and fostered by you, our loyal and loving listeners. And don't forget to subscribe to In Unison on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at In Unison Pod. And hey, if you like what you heard, tell a friend or a section mate. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon. IPA markings for those who missed rehearsal last week are available from Chorus Dolores, who will watch you mark your score during break. In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble Dynamic on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.